0: Take your Bible with me if you will and find your place at Exodus chapter 2. And We're going to read 10 verses, the first 10 verses of chapter 2 in just a moment. The title of my message today is The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Exodus chapter 2. This is probably a familiar story to many of you, maybe most of you. It's the story about the birth of Moses. And before we read this story, let me just Give you some of the backstory so that you can understand the power of what we're reading here. The Jewish people, some 70 of them, had gone down into Egypt when Joseph had become second in command. And over the ensuing years, several hundred years, the number had multiplied. The estimate is that there may have been as many as two million Jews. That number had multiplied in that fashion. Obviously, uh, the Pharaoh is looking at this burgeoning nation, and he's concerned. If we are attacked by another nation, these Jewish people may join with them and attack us, and we won't be able to fend off our enemy. And so he sets in motion a plan by which he can begin to curtail the growth of this nation of Jews. And that is by having the midwives, whenever it came time for one of the Jewish women to give birth, to be there, if it was a baby girl, to save the girl alive. If it was a baby boy, to, to kill the baby. So that they could not continue to reproduce and they could not continue to multiply in the fashion they were multiplying. Well, you read about two of those midwives here in chapter one who feared god more than they feared the pharaoh and the result is that uh, they would get there late for the birth of the children and consequently they weren't there to take the child a boy child and to destroy him and so pharaoh is angry he's angry you have circumvented what i've told you to do and by the way those two women were blessed because they feared god more than they feared men but he's angry and he wants to do something to make sure that his edict is carried out, that they do what he said that he was, they were supposed to do. And so he, in essence, deputizes every Egyptian. If the Jewish midwives won't do this on my behalf, then I'm going to deputize every Egyptian. If you see a woman giving birth or are there around where a woman is giving birth and it's a boy child, then you can rip that child out of that mother's arms and you can throw that child in the Nile River and let him die. So now not only do these Jewish mothers have to be concerned about those who are the midwives who feared God more than man, now they've got to be concerned about the whole nation of Egyptians and being found out if they're giving birth whether it's a boy or a girl well it's into that setting that you read about this miraculous birth of a son by the name of Moses and it's interesting here that the cast of players in the end of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 the cast of players is almost entirely female they are almost entirely women now, you might assume that to be true because you're talking about a birth story, and you would assume that women would most naturally be the ones to be involved. But you do see Pharaoh, and you do hear about uh, the father of uh, this man that's going to be born, this child is going to be born. But for the most part, this is an all-female caste whether it's the midwives or whether it's the mother of Moses or whether uh, it's Miriam or whether it's the daughter of Pharaoh, it's almost an entirely female cast in this story that's being unfolded before us. And I want you to follow along beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. And let's stop there for a moment. I want you to notice that they're not giving they're not giving us his name or her name. But we don't find out the names of these two people until you get all the way over to chapter 6 and it's found in a genealogy of Levi. And their names the father is Amram, the mother is Jochebed. What I want you to remember about these two is that they are unassuming kinds of people. They're They're quiet. They're probably in the shadows kind of people. It wasn't that they were asking for themselves to be pushed to the front and everybody to notice them and pay attention to us. Please see us. We are giving birth to this child. This is our child. They weren't asking for any of that attention. Obviously, in the circumstances they were in, they didn't want any attention. But they're in the background. You don't even know their names. You don't find the name of, of Moses' mother till later on in the story. He goes on in verse 2. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him. She daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And again, let me stop for a moment. The word ark, the ark of bulrushes, the only other place that that word ark is used, other than in this story, is in the Genesis story of Noah. There's a comparison going on here about how God saved people, the, the eight that were on the ark, and how God is going to save the Jewish people by the leadership of this child. And she prepares this ark, this basket with asphalt and pitch to make it watertight. Verse 4, and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the weeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. Now, what woman can turn away from a crying baby, right? Don't you, even when you're in a restaurant somewhere or when you're out uh, shopping at some particular store and you hear a baby begin to cry, doesn't it cause you to stop and turn and to look? And here she hears this baby crying and she turns to see this child. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. What a great story, right? Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew. And she, uh, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we pray today that you will bless these dear ladies. We are so grateful for our mothers. Uh, I think of my mother, who passed at 96 years of age and has been in heaven for a number of years now. I thank you for the impact that she had in my life. I thank you for the love that she gave to me and to my sisters. I thank you for the life that she lived before us, the faith that she demonstrated to us. And I pray, oh God, that all of our ladies today will recognize that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world the importance and the significance and the power that mothers have is right there with their children. And I pray, Lord God, that you'll help each of these ladies to be appreciated today and to realize how loved they are on this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I was thinking about Mother's Day and what I would preach on this Mother's Day I'll be honest with you and tell you that Mother's Day is the most difficult sermon for me to prepare. Not because uh, I don't uh, have something that I can say out of the Bible. I just don't know how to say it because I've never been a mother. Uh, I had to get coaching from my wife to make sure that the message... I had to read the points of the message today to make sure that I was going about it in the right way, the very best way. And obviously, I wanted to make sure that it was a biblical message, that it came from the truth of Scripture. Today, I want to speak to you mamas for a little while, and I want to draw your attention to this woman, Jacobed, whose name we don't learn until we get all the way over to chapter 6. This woman who demonstrates this incredible faith When it comes to the raising of her son and in looking at her life and in observing in this text, there are things that I believe we can take away. Actually, there's five things that I believe that we can take away today that'll be a blessing to you, that'll be helpful to you, that'll be a reminder to you as it relates to the role that you have in the rearing of your children. And the first observation of this text that I want you to think about with me today is that every mother... Should believe that God has a plan for her children's lives that goes beyond what her children are pursuing right now. Think about that for a moment. If you look back for just a moment at verse 2, it says, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she follow the word, saw that he was a beautiful child. Now the word beautiful is the Hebrew word that means good or fine. And it wouldn't be unusual for a mother to be holding her newborn child, son or a daughter for that matter, a son in this case, to be looking at this child and holding this child in her arms and to see the beauty of that child, to see the goodness and the fineness of that child. I've said this on many occasions and some of you remind me that it's not always true for you. But I have said over the many years of my ministry that I have visited at the maternity ward, I have never seen an ugly baby. Now maybe if you show me your picture, it'll it'll change my mind about seeing an ugly baby. But when I see those precious little children, I see those children as the innocent ones they are as the beautiful gifts that bear the image of God. And some have hair and some don't. Some are skinny and long and some are short and fat. And all of them are beautiful. They're all beautiful gifts. And you can imagine a mother holding this child in her arms, Jochebed, holding this child and looking at him and seeing that he is fine, that he is good, that he is Beautiful. But what I don't want you to miss and the observation that I want you to specifically to see is this. When it uses the word saw and beautiful, it reckons us back all the way to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Think about it this way. The only other place that you find these two words used together like this is in Genesis chapter 1. You remember on the first day God created and what does it say? He saw and said it's good on the second day god created and he saw and he said it was good and he did that the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day when he got to the sixth day he created man from his side he made woman and he saw and he said it is very good Now, the point I'm trying to make here is that there's more going on than just a mother looking at her newborn child and saying, how beautiful. He looks like his father. He looks like me. He looks like a grandparent. It's more than just that going on because what's happening here is this woman is looking into the face of this newborn child and she recognizes that this child has a special destiny for his life. I think most mothers look at their children and they probably recognize that their children have a destiny that God has for that child or their children to fulfill. Every child needs a mother to believe in him or in her. There's nothing like a mother on the sidelines at a baseball game or a football game or a soccer match. There's nothing like a mother on the sidelines of a tennis court or wherever it is who's cheering on her children, I believe in you. I believe in you. You can do this. You can do this. Or they come home with some kind of an assignment and it's more difficult and they're having trouble with it and they're struggling uh, to accomplish it and they hear their mothers say, you can do this, we'll learn this, we'll work on this together, stay with me, we can do this. Every child needs a mother who believes in him or her. But even more importantly is that every child needs a mother that sees God's greater purpose for her children, and that purpose is the glory of God. And this lady, Jochebed, looked down into the face of her newborn son, and she saw, yes, a beautiful child bearing the image of God, and she believed in him like every mother needs to believe in her children, but she believed more than just that he was a fine child. She believed that this child had something by means of his destiny that God had determined for him. the ultimate aspect of that destiny was to bring glory to God through his life. Our children weren't created to just make society a better place. Our children weren't created to just achieve their lifelong dreams. And that's the end in itself. Our children were created and brought into this world for the purpose of ultimately bringing glory to God, no matter what they do, no matter where they go, no matter who they're with, to ultimately bring glory to God. And Jochebed looked into the face of this little newborn child and she believed in him. She she believed in her child, but it was more than just believing in him because he was pretty, because he was beautiful. Because he was handsome, it was believing in him that God wanted to use this child for his glory. Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? No matter what we do, whether we eat or drink, I mean the most mundane things of life, the most uh, simple things that sustain life, whether we eat or we drink, he says whatever you do, he says do it all to the glory of God. And mothers have to look into the faces of their children and say, it's not just about you having a better life or you getting a college degree or you having a successful career. It is that my child has a greater destiny than even those things. And that is that through his life or through her life, God is going to accomplish his glory through my child. I think about the passage of Scripture in Psalm 127, verse 4. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Moms, I think what Jacobet is trying to teach us today is that we don't want to aim just for the target of success in life. We want to aim beyond that target. Every arrow has to be pointed towards something. And we want to aim that target at something greater than just success in this life, just accomplishments in this life. We want to aim that target so that our children recognize my greatest destiny in life. What I believe as your mother is the greatest destiny that God has for you is that your life be lived out in whatever you do in a fashion that it brings glory to God, even to the place when you're eating and you're drinking. You want God to be glorified through your life. In everything our children do, we want them to ask, how can I give glory to God in this endeavor? How will God use my life and pursuits for his glory? We want them to be aimed at something greater than just the, success, the the secular success of this world. We want them to be aimed at something that God says should be true of all of us, living for the glory of God. And she looked into the face of her child, and she knew that this son had a destiny. And the destiny was more than just having a good life in Egypt. The destiny of this son was in some fashion and in some way. She doesn't know how it's all going to play out, but in some fashion and in some way, God's going to use her son for his glory and for his good. I think back across my life, and I'm not the best example for this. So don't think that I'm bragging in some fashion. But it's the life that I know. It's the life that I lived. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents loved me dearly. Both of them are in heaven today. My mother had an incredible impact on my life and on the lives of my sisters. But I had a sport that I loved. I I wanted to to do this sport I thought this was going to be the rest of my life this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life I could think about spending the rest of my life doing these things but I can remember, though my mother never discouraged me from pursuing what I love to do in that particular sport, I can, he- I can hear it in my ears to this day. If she said it once, she said it a thousand times or maybe several thousand times. When I would say, I want to do this. This is what I want to do with my life. This is where I want to go with my life. My mother would respond by saying, that's good if it is the will of God for your life. If it is the will of God for your life. And I remember those words in my ears, in my ears over and over again, and the reality is I don't know I, whether I would have ever been successful at a sport like I was involved in when I was a young teenager. I may never have been successful. I may never have achieved what I thought I wanted to achieve, but the one thing that every one of us can achieve is a life that brings glory to God in no matter what we end up doing, no matter what our children end up doing. A mother cannot choose her children's destiny, but she can prepare them for it. And the focus of every child's destiny, the goal, the aim, the target of every child's destiny is ultimately to bring glory to God. And I want you to think for a moment of some of the ways that this child born to Jochebed brought glory to God, he becomes the mighty leader before Pharaoh. He received the law of God on Mount Sinai and led the children of Israel to the edge of the promised land. He saw the glory of God and reflected it. You remember when he comes down from the mountain and they couldn't look at him because his face shone with the brightness of God and he had to cover his face? He authored the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. He he became the architect, or if you will, the building superintendent of the tabernacle where the people of God would worship the one true God. And he became the commander-in-chief of the nation of Israel. I don't know when she looked at him all that she understood about what God was going to do in this child's life. But the reality is that she was looking at something more than just a physical specimen of a child. She was looking at a child, and when she saw him, he was beautiful because she knew that God had a destiny for him, and that destiny was ultimately to bring glory to the God of heaven. And she knew that she had a gift that had been given to her. God has things for our children to accomplish. And mothers, you can't determine what all of those things are going to be. But God has things for our children to accomplish and he wants them to be accomplished for his glory. And when you hold your children or you see your children or you're talking to your teenagers or your college students, you remind them no matter what it is they are pursuing, it is always if this is God wills, if this is what God wills. How are you going to bring glory to God out of this? How are you going to use this to bring him honor and praise? How is God going to use your business? How is he going to use your your training? How is he going to use your teaching? How is he going to use your experience? And how is he going to use your skills? You you aren't supposed to be living just for this world. We want to aim at a target that's greater. The second observation is that when making parenting decisions... Jochebed, at least, teaches us that a mother should rely on her unchanging faith rather than her temporary circumstances. I think you probably understand the kind of day that Jacobed was living in. It was a day of spiritual darkness. They had been for hundreds of years in Egypt. Many of the Jewish people themselves had begun to take on the Egyptian ways They had begun to question whether God was ever going to come and deliver them or not. And there was spiritual darkness that surrounded her. The day in which she lived was a day that was a culture of death. I mean, let's take the baby boys and let's just throw them into the Nile River. And the culture of death was beyond just the Hebrew boys that were born. It existed in Egypt in many other fashions. And she lived in a day that was a culture of death She was surrounded by it on a constant basis, and she had to live with the oppressive slavery to the Egyptians. They had to work under taskmasters. They had to live in some of the most difficult and harsh kinds of circumstances, But she couldn't do anything about those circumstances. She couldn't do anything about the things that surrounded her that were so difficult in life. But the one thing she could do, she could raise her son to honor God anyway. People sometimes say, can I raise my children to honor God in the present evil world in which we live? And the answer is always yes. The answer is always yes tough situations can become the stage on which God does his greatest work, or they can become the excuse for our greatest rebellion. And here we find a woman who was constrained by her faith rather than by the circumstances in Egypt. She was constrained by her faith rather than the circumstances in Egypt. She recognized that she had a responsibility to someone greater than the society around her. And that responsibility was to the God of heaven above her. And she accepted that responsibility. As a matter of fact, one of the things that's pointed out, I pointed out about her in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, it says, by faith, she did these things. By faith, she did these things. Can I just tell you that This lady Jochebed sees her circumstances for what they are, temporary. And she sees the Pharaoh for who he is, a mere man. And she is determined that she's not going to take the easiest path for the sake of peace, but she's going to do what is right for the sake of principle. I'm going to do what is right. For the sake of principle, that this is what my God calls me to do in the rearing of my son. And the result is that God honored her because of that commitment. Think about not just Moses. Think about her other two children. You know, he had a brother that was three years older. He had a sister named Miriam that was older than that. Could have been as much as 10 or 12 years older. Think about them for a moment. Uh, Jochebed's son, he'll become the deliverer of Israel from Egypt. But Miriam became known as a prophetess and a leader of the women. And her other son, Aaron, becomes the high priest of Israel. And we all know that all three of them were flawed in various ways. When you read their story, you read about some of their flaws But there's a woman who believed that God had a greater purpose for her children and that purpose was the glory of God and a woman that was committed to making decisions not just based on her circumstances at this moment but based on her faith. She was constrained by her faith. I choose this not because it's the easiest because it's the right thing. I choose it. Your children need to see mama's a living example of your faith that does the right thing that does the right thing no matter how difficult the circumstances are in which you have to live or the things in which you have to deal think about it this way for a moment i did okay in math probably many of you did okay in math for a while you know one plus one is two and two plus two is four and five plus five is ten and ten times ten is a hundred i got the basic math but when i got to algebra and to geometry it was another story our football coach was our teacher for both of those subjects algebra one and two and geometry coach floyd was his name was an african-american man wonderful man great coach he was the teacher, and he would come to the class and he would look at me, I'm sure, maybe some of the other students, and he would recognize that we were struggling with understanding how to solve these formulas that he had given to us or that were in the book. And so we had a chalkboard today. They probably have a whiteboard, or they may have some kind of computer device that they use in the classroom that pushes it, pushes it up on a screen where the kids can see. But we had a chalkboard, and he would go to the chalkboard and he would write out that particular formula, whatever the formula was, and then he would walk us through how you solved this problem, how you were to deal with this particular problem. And just being able to see it helped to understand it. Amen? Amen? Just being able to see it helped us to be able to understand it. If, sometimes, if I could just see somebody work something out, then I can understand better how I'm supposed to work it out. Mothers, you are the whiteboards of your children's lives, you are the chalkboard of your children's lives. They are looking at you and they are watching you and they are learning from you how to work out the problems of life and how to deal with the challenges of life. And they need to be able to see you applying the truths of Scripture, the truths of godliness. They need to see you working them out in your own life so that they will learn how to work them out in their lives as well. Mothers are the whiteboards, the chalkboards from which they're learning the Christian faith. And mamas, I can't express to you how important it is that you be constrained, hear me, you be constrained by your faith, not by the circumstances that are around you or the society in which we live. Number three, mothers will find peace. Here's a third observation mothers will find peace of mind in accepting the role of God's providence in their parenting, which reminds them that they are not alone in raising their children. I don't know if you paid attention as we were reading through those 10 verses or if you thought to think about it in this fashion, but do you know whose name is strangely absent in those 10 verses that we read? The name of God. His name is strangely absent in those 10 verses. As a matter of fact, you don't read about God's involvement here except back in chapter 1, verse 20. If you look back just for a moment talking about the midwives who refused to obey the pharaoh it says therefore god dealt well with the midwives that's that's the first time you meet his name in the unfolding story of the birth of moses and you don't find his name until later in chapter two but remember when you get to later in chapter two you've moved years down the line in the life of moses years down the line in the life of moses But even though you don't see God's name referenced through this story of the birth of Moses or how things unfolded at the birth of Moses, I want to remind you of something, that God was at work even if you don't see him, even if Jochebed didn't see him. God's providence was at work in it all. Amen? God's all over this passage You don't see him visibly at work, but he's at work all over this passage. His providential hand is in everything that's unfolding in this story. Think about it for a moment. When you think about his providence, she kept her son for three months, but he isn't found. How do you do that? How do you keep a baby from crying? How do you keep a baby hidden in what could have been little more than a tiny, tiny place to live? How do you keep a baby from being known to others that are around you or being reported to the Egyptians? She places him, when it comes time, in a basket, a basket that's been waterproofed, and she puts him in the Nile River, and he's found. He's found in the Nile River. Or think about Pharaoh's daughter who comes down at just the right time and at just the right place, and she hears him crying. Or consider Miriam who's watching from a distance, and she's seeing what's going to take place with her younger brother, Moses, and as she's watching, she's ready with an answer. She's ready to come and say, hey, would you like me to find one of the Hebrew mothers to come and nurse this child? Or consider for the fact fact that this is Pharaoh's daughter. She sees this Hebrew baby. She knows it's a Hebrew baby, probably because of circumcision, but she knows this is a Hebrew baby. But instead of doing what her father had told her to do, what does she do? She takes the baby up and has compassion on him. And then she lets Miriam find his own mother, the baby's own mother, so that the mother can nurse him and care for him. And guess what? She's going to pay for it all. The Pharaoh ends up supporting the very one he wanted to destroy. I don't know if you see what I'm trying to say, that those aren't coincidences, that's providence. And you might not see God's name in this story specifically as it unfolds until later on or prior to. The fact of the matter is, God is at work, mothers. God is at work in your life and through your lives. This is a story that's reminiscent of the story of Esther. You remember in the story in the book of Esther, God's name is never mentioned. And yet in the story of Esther, we know that there's this evil plot by Haman to destroy the Jewish people. And God has placed Esther at the right place at the right time, given her favor with the king, so that she will be able, at such a time as this, to be able to save her people alive. Those aren't coincidences. That's the providence of the Almighty God in mamas. I want you to be reminded today, as with Jochebed, it may, one you may wonder sometimes when you look around, where, where is God? Where is God? I want to remind you that even when you can't see God, God is at work. And God is doing His work in you and through you in the lives of your children May I just add quickly that Jochebed cooperated with God's providence. She cooperated with God's providence. She might not have known that that was what she was doing, but that's exactly what she was doing, cooperating. She, she worked diligently to keep the baby quiet for three months. She made sure the basket was sealed so that it would float on the river. She put it, by the way, in the reeds or among the reeds on the Nile River. I can't help but think in my own mind that she placed it there in part because she didn't want the ark to get out into the flow of the water and the child be you know, swept on down the river and nobody know whatever became of him. She is at work here as well. She apparently asked Miriam to watch to see what was going to happen to him. I mean, you have here the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. You've got God at work, and He's using this mother to to accomplish His will. Whether she recognizes it or not, they're working together. Moms, you're working together with God. You're not alone. That's the point. God was using her reasoned, logical approach to accomplish His will. God could have done this work without her, but He chose to do this work through her. Mamas, you're not alone. You don't have to be perfect. And it doesn't all rest on your shoulders alone. You just get up every day and you say, God, I give myself to you and I surrender myself to you to be a vessel through which you can work. And whether I know it's you at work or not, I want to be your hands that rock the cradle that rules the world. There are many mothers that are expending vast amounts of energy trying to make sure their children turn out right. And God wants them to know today that he sees them and he's at work through them. He wants to strengthen them and he wants them to know that it doesn't all depend on them alone. He wants them to rest in him and to trust in him that he will complete his work. He will complete his work. They don't have to be perfect moms. There are some today that are single moms, and you're at the end of yourself. You're so drained and so depleted. You've been left with very little energy, very little resources in your spiritual tank, and God wants you to know that he loves you and is pleased with you. He wants you to trust him even when you can't see him. He wants you to trust him. There's other moms that have unbelieving spouses, and they're raising children that were from another marriage, or they're raising children from another marriage, and God wants them to rest in him knowing that he's at work in them and through them in their children's lives. He will be their strength and do what they cannot do. Do you see what I'm saying? Mamas are thinking logically, and they're doing all they can physically to make sure they're caring for their babies, but it's not you alone, mamas. It's God in you, and it's God through you. Number four, A fourth observation, teachable moments in a child's life provide an important opportunity for mothers to instill values that will shape their children's future. Think about this. Again, we're making observations from this text. We don't know exactly how long Jochebed had this baby, Moses, to care for. She may have extended the nursing period to some four or five years or maybe even a little longer than that. But during the time that she had this child in her care to watch over him and to love on him, she wanted to make sure that she instilled in him the things that he could never, ever forget for the rest of his life. She used those moments so that he would never forget his people or his God. I don't know how you do that. Mothers can do that. I'm always amazed at what mothers can do in a short amount of time, caring for their children, how they're able to instill in their children things that they carry with them for the rest of their lives. You and I can remember back, and we can look back and say, yeah, my mother taught me that, my mother taught me this, and you're way on down the road. You're like me. You're way, way on down the road. And you're still impacted by what your mother taught you. And here was a mother who only had a very short amount of time and she had to make sure that she did everything to instill in this son everything she possibly could so that he never forgot his God and he never forgot his people. And he didn't. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, listen to it. By faith Moses, when he became of age refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. I I don't know. I, I can't remember anything from when I was four or three or two or 30 Or 40. But somehow, this dear mother, aided by the Almighty God, was able to instill in those teachable moments while she had him in her care enough that he understood who his God was and who his people were so that when he came of age to make that decision, he made the decision that he wasn't going to be Pharaoh's daughter. Amazing. Can I just say one thing, mamas? The most important thing you can teach your children is the importance of faith in Jesus Christ and the courage to live out that faith in all circumstances. Will you just let me read a verse of scripture from the New Testament and let me paraphrase it for a moment? I know what feminism says. I understand what secular society says. But listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 15, 26 in a paraphrased fashion. For what profit is it to a woman if she gains the whole world and loses her own children? Or what will a woman give in exchange for her children? Mamas, the time you invest in your children The time that you give to teaching your children, instilling the values and the virtues that you want them to carry with them the rest of their lives are some of the most important things you could ever possibly do. The most important being that you teach them about having faith in Jesus Christ and about living out that faith no matter what the circumstances are. But mamas, you can do that in a way that nobody else can do that. You can do that in a way that the school system cannot supplant it because it's instilled within them. We're to use, mamas, we're to use the time that God gives us with our children to instill in them those virtues and those values. And number five, and finally, a fifth observation. At some point, every mother has to entrust her children to God's plan for their destiny, just as Moses' mother released him onto the waters of the Nile in faith. That's not the thing any mother really wants to hear. No mother ever looks forward to that day that their children become independent. But the reality is that's the way life works. And there comes a moment in every mother's life when she has to let her children go, put them out on the Nile, and let God be the one who's watching over them. You cannot be a helicopter parent forever. And there's nothing more wonderful than seeing a mother do all she can to prepare her children for this world, and then to take those same children and trustingly place them in the hands of God. I don't know about you that have grown children as we do. You know, when our children were underfoot, we were there to guide and make sure that they were directed where we wanted them to go, where we thought they should go. But now they're older, they're grown, and have their own families, and the prayers that we offer are some of the most important things that we do. During a fire in the Bronx apartment, in a Bronx apartment on December the 20, uh, 2005, Tracinda Fox had to drop her one-month-old baby Eric from a third-story window to save him. The flames were engulfing this apartment. The smoke was billowing out of the apartment. And here, this woman, this young mother of a one-month-old, was leaning out the window just trying to get air to be able to breathe. 30 feet up, 30 feet below, there were some people that were gathered there. One of them was a man by the name of Felix Vasquez. He was with the housing authority, an employee of the housing authority, and they were all standing there saying to her, drop your baby into our arms, drop your baby into our arms. She had a hard time doing that for a long time, but finally she knew that was the only means of being able to, to, to save her child. And she ultimately dropped that child outside that window and he was caught by this man, Felix Vasquez. He had been trained in life-saving techniques that he was able to save, resuscitate this baby. And then moments later, the firefighters were able to rescue Trascenda, so that neither of them were seriously injured but when she was asked about the difficult decision to drop her baby from the from the window tracinda said i prayed that someone would catch him and save his life i said god please save my son And I have to believe that Jochebed, the mother of Moses, must have felt a similar desperation as she placed her son in a basket and set it on the waters of the Nile River. And she prayed, oh God, please save my son. There's a poem that I want to read to you as I close. It comes from the 1800s from a man by the name of William Ross Wallace. He was born in Lexington, Kentucky. He trained to be a lawyer. His father was a Presbyterian minister. He ultimately left and uh, went to New York and practiced law and got involved in writing as well. You'll recognize his poem. What I want to do in closing and using this poem is I want to remind you, Mamas, you have significance and importance and value. You have power that you don't even know. You have a God that's more powerful than you. Now I want to remind you, the influence that you place in your child, the influence you have upon your child, is life-changing. Now, you're going to hear some words in this poem that are not familiar to 21st century people. When he talks about a hovel. He's talking about a, a place like where animals are kept. Or when he talks about being imperiled, He's talking about putting pearls, not pearls, pearls on a string. But listen to his words. Blessings on the hand of woman, angels guard its strength and grace. In the palace, cottage, hovel, oh, no matter where the place. Wood that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Infancy's the tender fountain. Power may with beauty flow. Mothers first to guide the streamlets. From them souls unresting grow. Grow on for the good or evil. Sunshine streamed or evil hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Woman, how divine your mission. Here upon our natal sod! Keep, oh keep the young heart open. Always to the breath of God. All true trophies of this age are from mother love imperled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Mamas, you're not just somebody in a household just trying to keep the household running and doing the laundry and cooking meals and watching after the kids and changing diapers. You're the hand that rocks the cradle that rules the world.